section of chapter one. As we, if you recall, the order that we went through, we said that after we speak about the godly soul, the animal soul, and the way that they can work together to be a carbon to Hashem, we're going to speak about the difference between an arousal from below versus an arousal from above, which we started to discuss at the end of last class, and that we're going to try and understand what's the advantage and disadvantage of each one. So before we get into that, I want to share a story with you about a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, who, who's my who we're learning right now, a very famous chassid whose name was Yukusil Lepler. He was known as Kusha Lepler. That's what he was known as. His name was Yukusil. And he, there are many, many stories about Yukusil Lepler. He was alive during the time of five Chabad Rebbein. He had a very, very long life. Yeah. He got a bracha of a Rechus from the Alter Rebbe, and he lived between 90 and 100 years, which in the... That's a long time. He died in the beginning of the 1900s. Oh, wow. So he, he, the Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe gave a few people brachas for Rechus and that meant between 90 and 100 years. A bracha from the Alter Rebbe for Rechus meant meant that amount of time, which in the 1800s... Was, no, was insane. Um, so a little bit about Yukusia Lepler before we get into it. The, the story is the story of Yukusia Lepler, of his life. Um, he, as a young man, went to the Alter Rebbe to become a chassid. He was a very simple man. He was a shopkeeper. And he wasn't very bright, but he was very, very passionate. And he went, he traveled to the Alter Rebbe to become a chassid. And it used to be, in order to become a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, there were like almost two classes. Those who were, who were very, very great scholars, um, who were coming to the Alter Rebbe after having, you know, been in other places. The Alter Rebbe um, put them through a lot of, you, you didn't just have easy access to the Alter Rebbe, and, and you put them through a lot of different um, hurdles. They first had to know like the whole nigla, all the reveal Torah before they could start learning chassidus, and um, it was a whole process. But then the Alter Rebbe, unlike the Magid, also had simple um, simple Hasidim. The Magid only had great Sadikim. One of the simple Hasidim was Yukusia Lepler, and he would break all protocol, and if he wanted to see the Alter Rebbe, he just went. So one time he wanted to have a Yichidus with the Alter Rebbe, at the beginning, when he was meeting the Alter Rebbe, and, they, and he, went to, he went to the town where the Alter Rebbe was, and the Hasidim told him, yeah, you need an appointment, you need to wait, you need the Yichidus, there's a process, the first Yichidus looks like this, it was a whole process. So what did he do instead? He waited till the night time, he climbed up the window, through the window, into the home where the Alter Rebbe was in the middle of studying deep into the night and he arranged his own private Yechidus. And he said very famous words to the Alter Rebbe. He said, cut off my left side. That's what he said. What does the left side represent? The animal soul. The animal soul. The Yetzirah. He basically outright said to the Alter Rebbe, make me a tzaddik. And we know that Everything we've been learning until now, specifically focusing on this mimer, the difference between Chabad and Chagas, and the uniqueness of the altar is the emphasis put on your own efforts, right? On achieving spiritual heights through your own efforts and not through a gift from the Rebbe. But this, for some reason, the altar Rebbe, I don't remember the, the words he used. It's the, the Friedrich Rebbe tells a story and he brings the, the words. The altar Rebbe started to speak in a, in a sing song. He used to speak in like a sing song, in a melody. And he said to Hashem that you should, I don't, I'm sorry that I don't remember the exact words, um, that you should make him a tzaddik. And from that day on, Kusha Lepler became a tzaddik. However, because he hadn't earned it on his own, it would come and it would go. He would have times where he was so inspired, where he was so full of love for Hashem, 
and all for Hashem, which is what defines a tzaddik, right? From mm-hmm. Benoni is his love of Hashem. That he would daven shachros mincha and mayrev one after the other. Um, so he would start early in the morning davening shachros and it would last all the way till the afternoon. So then he would start mincha and it would last all the way into the evening and then he would daven uh, mayrev until Krishna, basically. He was davening the entire day. And there were some days where he would daven with a regular minion. He was a regular guy. And he used to say... The chassid came, he used to say in Russian, I don't know how to say it in Russian, maybe you can tell us. Um, do you, know, you know Russian, right? Yeah. If you know Ukrainian, you probably know Russian. Um, he used to say the chassid came and the chassid went. How would you say that in? Oh, okay. Chassid prishol, chassid pashol? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, how, that's it. Because people quote it like that. You, you got it. You know Russian. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, good job. So, yeah, he would say chassid pri... Prishol. Prishol, chassid. Ushol. Ushol. The chassid came and the chassid went. Because he hadn't, as we discussed before, he hadn't um, personally worked to the point of being deserving of the gift of tzaddik, it would come and go and it wasn't up to him whatsoever and it would drive him a little bit crazy. Um, he, was a very, he, was, he was a very passionate guy and, and uh, however, the chassidim of the altar didn't have a lot of respect for him because as we know, the emphasis is in Chabad chassidus is on earning things on your own and he hadn't. Um, the Alter Rebbe then was in Stalek, passed away, and the Mitzvah Rebbe became Rebbe. And the Mitzvah Rebbe's style of teaching Hasidus was very, very different than the Alter Rebbe's. The Alter Rebbe's Maimarim would average about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, right? We're learning the Alter Rebbe's Maimarim. They're not very long. If you would say this, it wouldn't take too long, right? To learn, it takes a little longer. The Mitzvah Rebbe's Maimarim would sometimes take like 24 hours. And they were very, very, very deep ideas. And the Mitzvah Rebbe let, um, let very, very young students, very bright young students come. The Alter Rebbe, again, as we said, you have to go through a lot of hurdles. You first have to know the whole, know the whole Nigla. The Alter Rebbe took seriously, which says that you have to be 40 in order to learn Kabbalah and start learning the secret. So he had what's called Alter Chassidim. The Mitzvah Rebbe, if you were a young bright scholar and you wanted to learn Chassidim, and you were a young man, you were a, you were a what's the word? A, a Bacha. You could come. And you can learn, and you can sit by the Mitzvah Rebbe and learn the deepest ideas of Chassidus. But there was one condition, that when you leave the Mitzvah Rebbe, you have to stop in every single town that you pass through. You have to stop in a, in a Chabad shul and chazar and repeat over a mimer that you had learned by the Mitzvah Rebbe. Mm. So Kusher Lepler lived in Lepler. That's why he was called Kusher Lepler. Um, and um, when the Mitzvah Rebbe became Rebbe, he was in his town, and this young Pisha, I guess you could call him, this young, real young guy, shows up, and he starts to repeat Hasidus from the Mitzvah Rebbe. And Rabbi Kosiel Lepler, who's a tzaddik, he's sitting there, and he is listening, and he doesn't understand anything. Again, he wasn't a bright guy. The Friedrich Rebbe, when he tells over the story, he says that <clears throat> even a basic commentary on the Mishnah, he didn't really understand. But he, did, he, had, he had really worked out, and he had understood the memoir of the Altar, which were a lot more simple. So he called over this Bacher, he made him stay a week in this town, and he made him repeat again and again and again and again the mimer. And at the end of it, he said, he said, I understand the beginning, I understand the end, right? Because we know how the mimer are. There's a question in the beginning and an answer in the end, and then there's all this stuff in the middle. He said, I don't understand the beer. I don't understand the explanation in the middle. And he tried and he tried, he couldn't get it. So he told his wife, bye. <laughs> he traveled to the Mitzvah Rebbe, and he stayed there for seven months. And he went to the Mitzvah Rebbe, and he told the Mitzvah Rebbe, I understand the beginning, I understand the end, which because all of the Maimaram, well, at least 95% of the Maimaram of the Mitzvah were based on Maimaram of the Alter Rebbe, which was, had the same beginning and end, but the middle had a lot of extra stuff. He said, I don't understand the beer. And he asked the Mitzvah Rebbe, 
to make him a genius. He said, I went to your father and I asked him to cut off my left side to make me a tzaddik, and he did. I want you to make me understand chassidus. And the Mitzvah Rebbe said, no. <laughs> he told him, in the place where there is will, you will succeed. If you have the desire for it, you will succeed. And he, 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 didn't, he didn't just give him brains. And Yukosil Ebner was a simple man. He wasn't a smart guy. He stayed for seven months by the Mitzvah Rebbe, and he broke his brains. He would make he would make Hasidim repeat again and again and again and again and again Hasidus. And he became the master of Hasidus, probably of all time, other than the Rebbein. The Mittler Rebbe was, I think, the only Rebbe who published his own Maimarim. The Alter Rebbe that Simach Tzedek's grandson published over the Maimarim that we're learning. And the other Rebbein, their students or sons or brothers, it was, you know, would, would publish the, the Maimarim. But the Mittler Rebbe actually published about 10 Sfarim, which were his own Maimarim, and he published them. And quite a few of his Sfarim were written, Hasidus that was written specifically for, for certain Hasidim. And he has one book called um, Imre Bina. You guys heard of Imre Bina? I've mentioned it before. Imre Bina is a sefer of Hasidus of Mitzvah Rabbah, which is considered the most difficult text of Hasidus from all of the Rabbeim. And he, the Al-Mitzvah Rabbah, wrote this sefer. I just learned this today when I was repeating, when I was learning over the story. He wrote it for Yukosia Lefler. Whoa. Yukosia Lefler became the genius, the guy to go to of Hasidus. If you would ask him about Gemara, he didn't know. He was still a simple guy. But he broke his brain and he achieved tremendous, tremendous, tremendous intellectual heights. So not only was he a tzaddik, but he was also a real, real, real maven, I guess we call it, someone who really, really understands Hasidus to the point that he lived and he also got a, there's a whole story with the bracha that he got from the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe told him, I want to give you a bracha for a rechaz for a long life. And he started negotiating with the Alter Rebbe. He said, whoa, 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 I don't want a long life if I'm going to be sick and I'm going to be, you know, senile. What, 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 what's this long life you're promising me? He started giving all these conditions. You're giving me a long life. I want to be, I want to be, you know, I want to be, in my old age, I want to be still there. And yeah, it's, it's a good one, you know. All, the blessing of old age is, is, you want it to come with, with other blessings alongside, and he made sure that that was the case. Mm -hmm. And so he was also, after the Mittler Rebbe passed away, he was also a, a chassid of the Tzemach Tzedek. And there's a story that the Rebbe Maharash, who was the youngest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, who then became later the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, he once went to his father, Tzemach Tzedek, with a question in the Imre Bina, a question in the text of the Mitzvah, but he didn't understand something. And his father told him, go to Yukosia Lepler, he's in town, and he's the guy, he's the guy you go to if you want to understand Hasidus. So the Rebbe Maharash, who was a very, 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 very bright soul, went and he started, he went to Yukosia Lepler and said, I have this question. Yukosia Lepler said, um, what are you going to give me in return if I explain this to you? And so he said, I need you, you need to explain to me a specific mimer that he had heard from his, from Tzemach Tzedek. So they were going back and forth for a full week. The Rebbe Marash was going back and forth, asking questions to his father uh, on the mimer that his father had taught, and then going back and getting, asking questions of Yukosia Lepler. It was like a whole week um, of going back and forth. But Yukosia Lepler became the guy to go to, if you want to understand Hasidus. Um, and he also knew the Rebbe Rashad as a young, as a young, young man. Wow. So he, he was alive for five, five, for him. Um, he's the one who, after, we mentioned, we speak about this last class, that the Tzemach Tzedek had many sons and there was a mm -hmm. split. So the Rebbe Maharash is the only son who stayed in the Bavitch. Lukosia Lepler came, uh, after the, first of all, when the Tzemach Tzedek passed away, he rushed 
to the town, to Lubavitch, and he started yelling at all the sons of the Tzavach Tzedek, saying, if I was here, I would never have let him go. I would never have let the Tzavach Tzedek pass away. And I started yelling at them anyway. And then he was like, okay, well, we need now I need a new Rebbe. We need to find who's the next Rebbe. So he went from, from Rebbe to Rebbe. He was watching everyone and sitting by everyone. At that time, they all had their own shuls. Tzavach Tzedek established for each one their own shul. And he went to the Rebbe Maharaj, and he sat with him, and he asked him questions. And at the end of it, he said, Say a man You're the next rabbi. He, he's the one who told the Rebbe Maharaj. Oh, wow. And you don't say no to Yudkasiel Epler, and the Rebbe Maharaj said Maimar Kassidus, and the Rebbe Maharaj became the next um, Lubavitch uh, Rebbe. They, many of them became, became Rebbes, as we said, but he, he stayed in Lubavitch and became the, the next Lubavitch Rebbe. So it's just, this is the story of the life of Rebbe Yudkasiel Epler, and it's an extremely, extremely powerful idea. And it's a powerful, powerful story. First of all, that where there's a will, there's a way but also the advantage of hard work, of, of, of earning something on, on your own, of transforming yourself. And that's what the discussion that we left off last class was that there is a disadvantage to getting help from above, for getting an inspiration from above. And this above could mean from Hashem, a flash of inside a spiritual awakening. It could also mean an encounter with a tzaddik or even with a righteous person or with the person who starts to give you Judaism, I guess you can call it. There's the disadvantage of that is that you become dependent on the other person for your own ad advancement, for your own connection to Hashem. And that is the unique path that the Alter Rebbe kind of took, which was that we need to take those inspirations and instead of waiting for the next one to inspire us again, internalize that inspiration, start to make it real for ourselves so that we don't lose it. Because if we don't do anything with that inspiration, if we let it come and we let it go, as we said what happened with Kushalepler, the Chassid came and the Chassid went. If you don't change your own vessels, if you don't build up yourself, your spiritual self, your character, if you don't build that up, then anytime you do have an inspiration, it's not going to make an effect on you. It's going to come and it's going to go. And when it leaves, it's going, you're going to be the same person as before the inspiration came. So the Alter Rebbe now is going to explain to us the path to take for those instances where we do get help from above, where we do get inspired from teachers or from flashes of insight um, or from tzaddikim or from learning. What do we do in those cases where we just get this tremendous amount of excitement for Hashem that we did not earn? How are we able to make that real so that we can be consistent in the difficult avoda of transforming our nefesh Bahamas and making ourselves into a carbon for Hashem? So with that little intro, let's go inside. Let's see this idea inside, and we're going to finish. Um, we're going to finish chapter one today. Does anyone have any questions or comments before we go inside? Okay. So we finished off, I think, in the middle of page twelve. Yeah, it starts with "however, despite this." That's where we're up to, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So until now we discussed that Hashem created the world with chesed chinam, right? We mentioned that Hashem created the world with chesed, with kindness. He gave, he gave, he gave, and we weren't deserving of it. But then, the moment that Adam was created, he placed him in Gan Eden to work, to earn it. He said, okay, I've given. I've given you the inspiration, I've given you life, I've given you the potential to reach the divine. Now you need to work, now you need to earn it, you need to make it real for yourself. Aval. However, despite the fact that, there, that you need to do the work, Right? And that the most important thing is doing the work on your own, your own efforts. There always needs to be your own effort put in. An arousal and awakening from below. However, in However, despite all of this, 
Nimshach Isarusa de Leila, sometimes Hashem sends an awakening from above, La'ira Isarusa de Lesate, in order to awaken this effort. So sometimes Hashem wants our effort, but we're not getting around to it. So what does Hashem do? He sends us a flash of inspiration. He inspires us. He gets us excited about God and all the different ways that God knows how to do that based on the different people that he's dealing with. So sometimes, the so as we said, the most important thing is our own efforts, is our own work in bringing our animal soul along the ride to serve Hashem. But sometimes Hashem wants to speed the process along and get us into it. And what does Hashem do? He arranges an arousal from above so that we can reciprocate with an arousal from below. So we can understand this in the service of Hashem. There are two levels in serving Hashem. So there are two pathways you can do. And we discussed this last time, and we saw this inside as well. That sometimes it first starts with an arousal from above, and it responds with an arousal from below. And sometimes the beginning is an arousal from below, and a response from above, an arousal from above. So Ha'alaf, the first level is, page 13 at the top. Bechinas Isarusa de la Sata. This is the level where you start off with your own efforts. Biagias nefesh, by investing and toiling the soul, biagias basar, and in toiling with the body, with the flesh as well. By thinking deeply, and contemplating and meditating on Hashem, and breaking your heart in order to access Hashem. And this is a process that is experienced during prayer specifically. So prayer is a special time to reflect deeply about concepts of Hashem's true existence. For example, how he is beyond time and space and creates us. Through this, the person can become brokenhearted by realizing how far he is from Hashem's infinite greatness and how little he feels and experiences the truth of Hashem. And obviously, brokenhearted, Leib Nishbars, does not mean being depressed because that is the, the biggest no-no in the Tanya, right? That's the biggest no-no as a chassid is to become depressed. But the idea is to put yourself in your place and to see just how you know, just how far you are for Hashem so that you can inspire yourself to then come close. This is a process where the person is not inspired, but he is putting in his own efforts, he's contemplating, he's working very, very hard. And this is all detailed out in the Tanya, this, this process of meditating on Hashem's greatness, trying to allow, uh, arouse the love and fear of Hashem during prayer, and putting in the physical and um, spiritual effort needed to have this Arisudalasata, to put in the effort down here. Sha'ayadeze, because once he does this, once he puts in his own effort first, Yavo Vanafsha Giloy or Kirvasanokim. A revelation of Hashem's light is going to be revealed in his heart. Hashem is going to reciprocate and he's going to actually feel something and actually experience something. The Hainu, and this process looks like the Estrosa de la Sata, the process starts off with your own efforts down here, which then reaches and draws down Estrosa de la Ela, an awakening from above. Okay, that's the first process that a person can take. He doesn't feel inspired, but he puts in the difficult work and he breaks his heart. Um, I think the altar here is detailing five levels. Yigias Nefesh, Yigias Basar, Hamakasadas, and Ispainunus, and Yavnishbar. These are five levels. The different types of avada that a person takes of his own. Is volition a word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like his own like. It like desire. came to me, but like well. I'm scared to say it in the sentence. Mm -hmm. Of his own uh, efforts, his own volition, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and that will then lead to him feeling a flash of inspiration, of him actually feeling close to Hashem, of him feeling Hashem's presence in his heart. That's the Asurasa de la'ela, that's the arousal from above that comes as a response. 
down here with your efforts from below, which means, first of all, like the, a very important aspect of start, your efforts starting from below means that whatever you put in is limited to who you are and it's limited to your capabilities and your potential and all of that. So you're putting in a limited amount of work based on what you're able to, but then Hashem responds with an unlimited response from, from Hashem's end and we start to experience spirituality experience Hashem in a way that we couldn't have reached on our own. So that's, that's the concept of the Israelite. We start off with, from our own efforts, from our own capabilities, but we're, the, the, the amount that we can touch Hashem and reach Hashem on our own, and then Hashem responds with an awakening that we couldn't have reached on our own, as, but as a response of the fact that we put the effort in first. So we start off with our own efforts, and then Hashem responds in kind with a revelation from above. The second level, Madrega Habez, the second level is bottom of page 13, Sometimes it's possible that there should be an excitement of the soul that does not come with any preparation or hard work at all. And we might have experienced this. Just going about your day, not thinking about God, not putting in the effort, and suddenly have this flash of inspiration, I guess we call it. And as we see, there are many people that suddenly get aroused, get excited about God. And their souls get excited and their minds while they're praying for a specific period of time. Without them having any clue, the reason from where and why and how this awakening came to them. However, the catch to this is that in a very short time, the power of this inspiration leaves. And this is because this is really something that comes from above. It's only an arousal from above in order to initiate us putting in our own efforts. So if there are times where the process is reversed and it starts off with an inspiration from above, the purpose of this inspiration is not that we should be inspired. It's not that we should have a godly moment. It's that we should take that and initiate our own efforts toward Hashem. Hashem is missing our own work. He's missing us reaching out to Him. And so He gives us a little bit of a push, not for the sake of the push, not for the sake of that moment, right? But rather for the sake of what's going to come afterwards. Just like for Na'ila, right? Na'ila on Yom Kippur. We don't have the experience of Na'ila for the sake of the experience of Na'ila. We have the experience of Na'ila, of that excitement and that passion for Hashem, that we feel, that feeling of teshuvah that many of us actually do feel after a whole day of fasting and being in shul and hearing everybody scream Shema Yisrael. The purpose of that is that we should have a year following Yom Kippur until the next one where we put in the effort ourselves, right? That's the whole idea of the king in the field that we were discussing. That at some point, the king kicks everybody out of the palace and they say, whoa, 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 we were enjoying being here so much. We felt so close to you. We started to appreciate you. And the king says, yeah, but the whole point of me bringing you into the palace was so that you go back to the field and you remember who your king is and you, and you work and, uh, to feel close to the king. So these arousals from above that can happen suddenly without any sort of effort on our part are coming in order that we should take that inspiration and put it to use by putting our own effort in. Vanafkusa and the difference between the process of starting to serve Hashem from our own efforts first, which then has a response of an arousal from above, 
obeying, and between the second step, So what's the difference between the Isrosa de Lasata, the effort that comes before the inspiration, that lead to the inspiration, versus the effort that comes after the inspiration as a result of the inspiration? Do you get the question? Mm-hmm. So there's two, there's two processes here. Both, thank, first of all, thank you for being honest, I appreciate it. Um, Brie, um, we have, the, there's two processes. In both of these processes, there is a point where the person is putting in his own effort. It just depends where in the process it's happening. So in level one, the person starts off with his own effort, which then it triggers an arousal from above and a spiritual awakening as a result of his effort. The second, he's putting in the effort, but after he got inspired. So what's the difference between putting in your effort before you get inspired and putting in the effort after you got inspired? Got the question? Make sense? So okay. Why does it say here that it says that this is consistent with the system that first need an awakening from below? This is on page 13. Page 13. Below again. This is consistent with the system that there first needs to be an awakening from below, which causes this in our state. That's because we, that, that's speaking about the first level. That's the end of discussing the first level. First, you start off with your own effort, and then you get a response from above. Oh, okay. And then the next line says, The second level is the opposite. That first you get inspired, and then you respond to that inspiration with your own efforts. Okay? So what's the difference? What's more powerful? What's more lasting? When we put in the effort first, without the inspiration, or when we put in the effort after we were already inspired, as a result of being inspired from something outside of ourselves? So what's the difference? When there's what's called a true isrosa it's really coming from you. It's not based on any outside inspiration. You don't feel anything, but you put the work in anyway. By working really, really hard, by toiling in his soul. Then this is something that lasts forever. So it doesn't matter which way it goes it's just as long as like the arousal from below is like an actual thing from you so here it's actually saying when you start the process level one okay the work you put in lasts forever it can never be taken away from you okay because it wasn't dependent on an inspiration which means that you could wake up every single morning and repeat that again because it doesn't matter who you, you know, what teacher's coming in that day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what Sadiq you're visiting, what Sadiq's grave you're visiting that week, right? It doesn't matter what month it is, you know, if it's Nisan or if it's Tishrei. If you started off the process on your own, that is real for you. That can never be taken away from you because you initiated it with your own limitations and you reached God in your way. And so the altar was saying that that's the difference, that there is a huge advantage to actually starting off your own and not waiting for that inspiration to initiate the process of putting in our own effort. Sometimes we need a nudge, right? We need Hashem to remind us, hey, I, I, you know, I, you're here for a reason, you're here to serve me, and so Hashem inspires us to do so. But when we wake up in the morning without that inspiration, we put the work in anyway, we put everything that we've got into serving Hashem and getting close to Him, that is something that lasts forever. That's something that can never be taken away from us. And that's really, this line right here, when a person really works hard, this is something that lasts forever. This is really one of the big foundational messages of the Alter Rebbe to Chabad Hasidim and to the world, which is that your efforts are the most real thing, are the most important thing, but the most real thing in your life. Why? 
So he's going to explain now that this initiates a cycle. That when we start off putting in our own effort that's not dependent on inspiration first, it starts a cycle. Because through the efforts down here, through the Isarusa de la Sata, nit orer isarusa de la it awakens a response from above. Vahi hama'iro mit galabanefesh. And it then is felt and experienced and revealed in the soul, in an internal way. Because he prepared his heart for it first. So when we initiate the process, and then in response we get an arousal from above, we start to actually feel feelings for Hashem that we could never have felt on our own. This is something that's able to last. Why? Because we put the work in first, we prepared our hearts, we prepared our souls, we built up our character. By the time Hashem comes into the picture with His inspiration and with His light, there's somewhere for it to go. So there's a big rule in the Sephiris, in Kabbalah, which is light needs a vessel. If light doesn't have a vessel, what happens to the light? It disappears. It goes back to its source, it disappears, it goes back up, just like fire, right? If fire doesn't have a wick, you create a fire and then has nothing to hold on to, it goes back up to the source of fire, it goes back up to the sun, it disappears. So any sort of inspiration, any light that comes from Hashem needs a vessel that's able to contain that light. So it needs a strong vessel if it's a strong light. So when we first build up our vessels, clean ourselves out, build up our character and put in the effort, when Hashem does respond with an inspiration, it's not a fleeting inspiration. It's an inspiration that we're actually able to internalize and make real for ourselves because we have the kalim, we have the vessels to do so. It's, as it says here, because he prepared his heart for this initiative. It becomes something that is pnimis, that is internalized, that becomes actually real for him. And therefore, through this process, it gives himself power and strength in his soul to inspire another arousal from below. So the altar over here is describing a cycle that happens when we inspire ourselves first, when we put in the work first. And that is that because we put in the work first, we build ourselves up and we make ourselves fitting vessels for Hashem's light. And once we do that, Hashem actually gives us some of His light. And then that light has somewhere to go. It's internalized because we built ourselves up. And as a response to that, what do we do? We put in more effort. And when we put in more effort, Hashem responds again with even more light, with even more inspiration. And because we've built ourselves up, we've earned it, that inspiration becomes lasting and again triggers another Israsudilasata. So it creates a cycle. Instead of getting an inspiration and then the inspiration has nowhere to go because we are not fit for that inspiration. We haven't built ourselves up, so it comes and it goes. We first make ourselves vessels for Hashem's light. Then Hashem inspires us. We take that inspiration and we work on ourselves even more. We push ourselves harder and it starts a cycle that never ends. That's why the Altarab is saying, that it's something, that's what it means, that that effort lasts forever, because that effort triggers a cycle where we can continuously serve Hashem. Because remember, we had a question at the beginning, it wasn't explicit in the moment, but we asked it outside. How are we supposed to motivate ourselves to do the hard work of making our Nefesh Bahamas a sacrifice for Hashem every single day, every single moment? How are we able to be consistent if our, we know that our animal soul is very inconsistent? How are we supposed to keep this up? And the answer is you need to work really, really, really hard because that hard work that you put in can never be taken away from you. It starts a cycle where then Hashem will help you out and you're going to take that help from Hashem you're going to put in even more hard work. 
which is then gonna have Hashem help you out even more. And this is something that can be a process that lasts forever. Is it possible for the second process where Hashem gives us that flash of inspiration, to, like, can it still last? Because I feel like yes. that's what's more common. Like, that's what you hear people experience, at least nowadays. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That, so Don says yes, and that's the next thing that Don Trump is going to discuss. So what happens if you do get this inspiration? How are you able to make it something that lasts? Um, I don't know how common it is. We do hear people's um, flashes of insight, but they, many people don't. Um, mention all the flashes of insight that they had before that flash of insight, if that makes sense. Um, it's rare for somebody to have a flash of insight and actually do something with it and change mm -hmm. their life. But that's the goal. Because once you take that flash of insight, you do something with it, you change your life, mm -hmm. then you stop that cycle. As, but many people have many flashes of insight that they don't do anything with. Mm -hmm. And we don't hear about them because they didn't change. They mm -hmm. came and it went. Um, I, I have a good friend and she, she went through... A, very, she, she basically almost died. And she had a surgery, like a 10 hour surgery that saved her life. She didn't know if she was gonna wake up from the surgery. And I asked her afterwards, I asked her recently, I said, do, do, is your life like different? And she's like, no, it's really easy to forget, you know, that you almost died. Cause it's just, it, it's not, it doesn't just automatically change you, these, these experiences. Um, it's something she has to really, really work on to, to, to remind herself of and make real for herself, even though she had this incredible, crazy experience. So, so we're going to get to that um, tomorrow. We're going to discuss, okay, so what do we do with those insights? What do we do with that inspiration? So that it can be something that we can be consistent with and that can last and that we don't become dependent on the next one and the next mm -hmm. one. Um, so we said that the cycle of a person working on getting excited about Hashem during prayer and then experiencing Hashem's closeness, so first putting in the effort and then feeling Hashem close, is a cycle that can be perpetuated. Since his experience of Hashem's closeness came as a result of his hard work, he truly appreciates it and internalizes it. And it gives him the motivation to try again, to work in prayer, to obtain recognition and emotion for Hashem. And again, we see this, and this is the same example of the lottery that I keep on bringing. We see this in day-to-day -day life, that when you really, really, really work towards something, you start a cycle. So again, just because it's the easiest example that can come to mind, that when you put in a tremendous amount of effort to make money, and you break yourself, and you put in everything you have, and you fail, and you fall, and you get up, then suddenly, I don't know, you can sell, say you sell the company, you become a, a multimillionaire. That money, you're gonna be able to then continue that money and put it into good things that are gonna make the money last again and again and again throughout your whole life. But if just a bunch of money gets dumped on you, it's gonna go, it's gonna go very, very quickly. And the reason is because you built up your character to make that money, when the money comes, it has where to go. It ha you, and you're able to actually do something with it so that it can last. And, and when you get that amount of money, you need, then you end up working to do something with it. You become even stronger. And, then the, and that's, that's how, that's, it's a process of actually building yourself up. But then as we said, the kids, maybe they watch the father work really, really hard, but the grandkids, they just got this money. They were born into it. And that's why within three generations, it's, it's basically all gone. Unless, obviously, you, you learn to teach the next generation to work as hard as you did, even though they don't have to, right? Um, and it's an interesting thing that we see in the Tanya, that the, and I mentioned this before, that the Alter describes a Benoni that doesn't need to work hard, so to speak. A Benoni that's just born into it. Have you guys learned about this Benoni? So there's, I'm, I'm not remembering the term, does anyone remember maybe the Abenoni who, Shaloi Ka'avada or something. I have to check what, what the term is in the Tanya, I'm forgetting now. 
the author describes a man who's just not into physicality. He's just not into it. And he loves learning and he loves studying. And so he just takes his nature that he was born with and he directs it toward Hashem because that's what comes easily and naturally to him. He is considered, I think it's called a Benoni Asherla Avadai. He basically doesn't have like, he's more of like this intellectual kind of person. He doesn't have right. those. He doesn't yeah. have like big desires for, for, yeah. for physics, for food and for women. He's just not interested in that in his nature and he's very interested in learning. So if he's just born into a religious household, then that's going to just translate into being super excited about learning about God and spending his time, you know, doing mitzvahs because he's, he's somebody who's, who's, not that he doesn't have a Sahara, but he doesn't have, because uh, he's not a tzaddik, but he doesn't have this, these strong burning passions toward things. He's a cold person. The altar says that that person also needs to put in effort. If he wants to actually be a true Bainani, if he actually wants to experience a true unity and connection with Hashem, he has got to figure out where he can break himself, where he can put the effort in. Because if he doesn't put the effort in, it's not worth anything. So... We see this. We see this really throughout um, throughout the Tanya as well. That the most important thing is your effort. But then we have Stella's question, which is a very good one. So what happens when we do have that inspiration? How are we able to make it last? So I'll will finish off with this one sentence. The answer is we can never make an inspiration last, because the definition of inspiration is that it's temporary. The moment you have an inspiration all the time, it becomes just mundane and stops inspiring you. For example, the fact that the sun rises every single morning is a miracle. But the fact that the sun rises every morning means that we don't even notice it anymore, mm. right? So the definition of a flash of inspiration is that it's a flash. The moment it becomes something consistent, it's not inspiring anymore. Mm. So what are we supposed to do with those temporary moments mm. so that we can work on ourselves to keep up that inspiration, but from, our, from ourselves, right? Because you can't always... Um, have a teacher teaching at you, right? Um, although you can always have something in your ear, but you'll notice very quickly <laughs> that you start to tune out of that. I've seen that myself. You can't always have these moments. So how are we supposed to utilize those moments in the best way that we can keep up the effort that we put in the moment we had that inspiration, even when we don't have the inspiration? So that we can hopefully get another inspiration, but what do we do in the meantime, in the in-between spaces? Okay, so we'll continue with that tomorrow. So we'll finish chapter one tomorrow, okay? I said I was going to finish it today.